Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> well, hello there. So wonderful to see you returned once again to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we've got an interesting item to show you. Now, it may look very nondescript, probably nothing too uh, out of the ordinary about it. It's a regular plastic Bic lighter. With the flick of a thumb, steel striking flint, with the proper gas fuel, anyone can start fire. But it's our subject on today's episode that is the curious fire starter. Not of flint and steel, but of the human mind. So let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at Firestarter. Being a huge fan of Stephen King, I am always excited and always looking forward to and always get my hopes up whenever I find that there is a new uh, Stephen King adaptation coming out, whether it's something we've never seen before or in this case a remake of uh, a property we've already seen hit the silver screen, but uh, hopefully maybe in a, a new and different way. So when I found out that Blumhouse and Universal uh, were going to do a, a new version of Firestarter, and, and judging by the early trailers and teasers and the cast list, I, I was really quite excited uh, about this new rendition. You know, the original from back in 1984 uh, was, a, was a fine movie. Drew Barrymore coming right off the heels of E.T. You had David Keith as Andy McGee. The lovely Heather Locklear as Vicky McGee. Martin Sheen, who, who plays villains uh, better than most, uh, as, as Cap, Captain James Hollister. George C. Scott as Rainbird. Uh, maybe a, a bit of a miscast, but George C. Scott is incomparable when it comes to acting. Art Carney's in it. Uh, Moses Gunn, you remember him as uh, Joe Keegan on Little House on the Prairie. That's always where I remember him from, but he's done so much in, in TV and in films. But but such a great cast. And while it didn't have the you know production value we're used to today, it really was a, a big movie as it pertains to this story. As in so much as you know, you have a movie called Firestarter. That movie didn't lack for fire and big fire stunts. While it didn't have the uh, CG or the special effects that we have today, they really, you know, they went all out. This this movie really felt like it fit the name of the story. But there were a lot of things that it it, it kind of lacked. It felt looking at it through today's cinematic lens. I just wondered how much more they could do, uh, how much special effects they could do bigger and better and bolder with today's technology. Certain characters, I, you know, I like David Keith as the Andy McGee, but what if they brought somebody else in? Zach Efron's playing Andy McGee in this version. I want to see his take on it. You really can't beat Drew Barrymore as Charlie McGee because she is the iconic uh, version of that character. But, you know, she was... Uh, a nine-year-old girl playing a seven-year-old girl. Uh, you know, Charlie's seven in the book. Uh, Drew Barrymore was nine when she played Charlie in the original Firestarter. We've got Ryan Kira Armstrong, who's playing uh, Charlie McGee in this. I believe she's playing 11 in the movie, but she's probably more like 12 uh, when she filmed this. What are they going to do with a, a little bit older character that can maybe handle a little more emotional baggage as far as acting goes? Uh, there were just a lot of things that really interested me. Uh, I liked what they were going to do uh, with the villains in this, I liked the fact that the John Rainbird character, well, I, like I said, I love George C. Scott. John Rainbird is a Native American character. In the book, he's a Native American uh, Vietnam veteran. Uh, he's turned kind of this uh, mercenary, assassin-type, uh, man-for-hire character. And George C. Scott plays him well, because George C. Scott is a world-class actor. But it just didn't fit. Even when I watched this movie uh, for the first time as a young kid, I'm like, ah, that's... He, he's not Native American. And 
he's supposed to be. Uh, so I was really excited when I found out they were having Michael Gray Eyes play Rainbird, which I thought was fantastic casting because uh, the things I've seen him in, I don't know a vast majority of his work, but I have seen him from time to time in, in various roles, and uh, I've always liked what I've seen of him. So I thought he's really going to be able to take this character where it should have been in the first place. I liked the fact that they, you know... Gender swapping to me, uh, gender swaps, race swaps, stuff like that. Uh, sometimes it makes sense. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. Sometimes they do that just to do it. This is a situation where uh, I, I didn't mind that they swapped the Cap character because the Captain Hollister character didn't have to be a, a man. Uh, and I liked the idea of them changing this character to a woman. Uh, you know, Martin Sheen plays uh, bad guys really well, and you come to expect that from him. And I think, you know, when you give this role to somebody else, I want to see somebody else's take on this. So I thought Gloria Rubin was uh, an interesting choice to, to play the Cap character. So I was really excited to see what she was going to bring to the table. And then, of course, you have uh, actors like Kirkwood Smith playing uh, Joseph Wanless, uh, who is the doctor behind the the experiments that really kind of jumpstart this whole story. There were just a lot of things to look forward to in a new adaptation of Stephen King's Firestarter that really I went into this, even with seeing... Uh, you know, this came out on Friday. I didn't get to watch it until I mean, this morning, uh, Saturday morning. And, you know, you couldn't help but catch headlines here and there of people's disappointment. But yeah, I thought, you know what? Critics are critics. Uh, they criticize because they think that's what they're supposed to do. I'm going to go into this with the open mind that I've had the entire time. Now, that being said, uh, my wife and I sat down to watch this because this was a movie that she, and she's not huge on horror, but she won't shy away from certain types of horror. And this was something she said, uh, you know, I think I might watch this with you. And I was like, oh, that's great. So we sat down and watched it. After it was all said and done, I looked over at my wife and pardon my French, but I said, and I quote, what the fucking fuck, end quote. I just... I don't know what goes through the minds of screenwriters and directors and studios that feel the need to do what they do to Stephen King's work. Uh, I'm going to put this out here right now. This is going to be full of spoilers because I just don't care. Uh, it's, uh, I'm going to talk about this movie. I'm going to talk about everything that I thought was wrong um, I'm going to compare it to the original 84 movie and the book. And I'm going to be quite honest about what I liked and I did not like about this. Now, granted, I'm going to throw this out there right off the bat. There's a lot more that I didn't like than that I actually did like. But, but there are a few things I did really like about this adaptation. Some of the things they did I, I thought were interesting. But there was so much wrong with this movie and and this is this is probably my biggest beef about this movie and i'll probably reiterate this later and i'm sorry if i sound like i'm repeating myself but after i watched this movie i posted on the odds bodkins curiosity shop facebook page about how i just finished watching the movie and this movie felt like a big f you to stephen king to the novel and to the fans of Stephen King and the fans of this novel. It pisses me off to no end. And we get this with so many newer Stephen King adaptations. We got it with Pet Cemetery. We got it with It in many regards. We get screenwriters who think that I give one shit about what they think Stephen King should have done with this story. I don't want to see your idea of how the story should have gone. I want to see Stephen King's books on the GD big screen. That doesn't mean you have to reshoot the 1984 Firestarter scene for scene. That's not what I'm talking about. Because, let's be honest, that version is a really faithful adaptation of the King book. I'm not saying I want to see uh, everything done exactly the same as the first movie. But I want to see the book on the screen. And this, there was so much about this movie that was not Stephen King's story. 
probably the closest we got to it being Stephen King's story is the name of the characters, uh, the fact that Charlie starts fires with her mind, but apparently that's not the only thing she can do. And uh, probably one of the most interesting things they did was the bits about Andy and Vicky, uh, Charlie's parents, getting into the Lot 6 experiment. Uh, they kind of did that through uh, VHS recording clips, and they did all of that during the opening credits, which I thought was a, uh, an interesting way to kind of do all that stuff because that was a big flashback in the movie and in the books. But uh, it was a way to do all the Lot 6 experiment stuff when they were in college without dedicating too much time to the film proper to it. And you got some of the scenes. You got the the creepy scene with the guy gouging out or the I can't remember if it was a guy or a girl gouging out their eyeballs and the books and stuff floating in the air and and all these examples of you know telekinesis and and whatnot. Uh, that was really cool, and that was that was fairly representative of how it went down in the book, even more so than the original movie. So I really dug that. Another thing that I, I really didn't mind, because in the book and in the 84 film, you get a lot of the story of how Andy and Vicky, the two parents of Charlie McGee, how they met. You get a lot of that through flashback. And in this, they told it as more of a linear story. And... And I almost didn't mind that. I, I was very accepting of that because I thought, well, that would be interesting to see a little bit more of the family dynamic before everything kind of hits the fan. Because in the book and in the 84 film, you start out with Andy and Charlie on the run. And you only get those glimpses of family life through flashback. So I thought it was interesting to just start with the family. Give you a reason to care about them right off the bat. You know, get that family dynamic. Get those scenes with Charlie and her parents. And it's it started out okay, but they spent more time uh, with Vicky and Andy arguing about how they should raise Charlie. Vicky wants to teach her how to use her powers to control them. Andy wants Charlie to just suppress all of her powers or, or they're going to get caught or she's going to hurt somebody. And it just created conflict uh, between these two parents that really made me not care about either one of them. Charlie's older. Uh, we get to see her more in school. And and they kind of play her. It, it almost felt like a uh, Your Changing Body video. They really started to play up the fact that she's getting older. She's going to start getting into puberty. This is starting to manifest her powers more. Uh, they start out with that, and then that goes nowhere. I mean, that could have been a theme, changing of women's bodies. It could have really spoke something to to young about young females and coming into their own uh, womanhood and and sexuality and stuff like that. But they re that really went nowhere. They even at the beginning treat this as a commentary on dealing with anxiety because uh, they play Charlie's powers manifesting as a result of her being anxious. And they even introduce some coping mechanisms of, you know, finding things in the room and, and naming them off and kind of uh, focus techniques and they do that a couple times, but then they don't. It doesn't really have any bearing on the rest of the movie or the rest of the story, which I thought was, you know, when I saw some of that stuff in the trailer, I thought, well, that's a neat aspect to add to this story that I thought would have been really interesting. But like I said, they didn't focus on it, but like a couple times and it had no bearing and came into play at no other point in the movie and really was... You know, if they would have doubled down on that, it, it might have been an interesting aspect, an interesting thing to add. You know, I'm all about, I want to see the book on the screen, but I'm not above uh, them adding elements that, that could make a story a little bit more interesting. They do that a couple times here, but then they just never go anywhere with any of it. Kind of like the John Rainbird character played by Michael Gray Eyes. Uh, I thought this was a fantastic cast uh, of this character because like I said George C Scott played Rainbird very well 
in the 1984 film, but it was just, you know, as the kids today say, problematic because he's playing a Native American character and George C. Scott is not Native American. Here you have the role cast perfectly and then they didn't give him anything. They made this character so one-note assassin and they changed the story arc of this character so much and it was so flat that... I, I didn't care about this character and I, I wanted to. I wanted to love this character as a villain. And they just made it so uh, milk toast. And like I said, one note that I, it just wasn't enjoyable. Now, they had, when you know, when you're introduced to the Rainbird character, he does come across as, as interesting. You know, he's kind of in this like bunkery type place. Uh, you know, you see him. Uh, shirtless, his back, and he's got this tattoo of this tarot card on his back, which just really seemed like a, a cool character point that you don't really need to know what it means or, or why he's got it, but it just it helps inform the character as to, you know, this guy's got a story, and you want to hear more of this story. You want to see more of this story, and you got a little bit of his backstory in the 84. You know, he talks about being... A, a Vietnam veteran and you don't get any sense uh you know he's a mercenary type he's an assassin type in this but you don't get you know is he I thought well you know they'll make him like a an Iraq war veteran or, or something like that we might get a little bit of that backstory being that they actually have a Native American playing this we might get into the some of the Native American elements because I know in the book uh, they kind of go into it more than the original movie even you know he feels a spiritual connection to Charlie is Charlie being this uh, this spiritual creature that you know his ancestors may have worshipped and and that kind of informs his uh, obsession with Charlie that we get in the book and get to some degree in the 1984 film and you just don't get any of that you get a I think like a a very watered down version of that at the very end, which we'll kind of talk about that uh, a little bit later. But I, I just, I, I wanted to love uh, the John Rainberg character as portrayed by Michael Gray eyes. And it's through no fault of his, what he was given. And I, I think this whole cast, what they were given is the problem, not the performance that we see. Gloria Rubin as, as Cap, really suffered from that it's not that she did a bad job it's just that the 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 character of captain hollister was just horribly written they didn't know whether they wanted this character to be a full-on villain like martin sheen's version in 1984 or it, it was almost as if they tried to make her some sort of sympathetic character like oh we just we only want to help charlie uh, we only want to do what's best for her we only want to you know it, instead of the and, and i don't know if it was supposed to be subtext if it was subtext it was very well hidden but uh you know this group, the shop, the shop is this clandestine organization, this government shadow government type organization that does all these experiments and, and wants to, to capture people like Charlie and Andy and weaponize them. And you never really get that, that sinister feel from Hollister in this or the shop in this. They, they don't even call it the shop. They, they only do it like maybe twice Three times tops, you only get a reference to the name, the shop. And, and and that's a big thing in the original movie. It's a big thing in the book. And they just really mishandled uh, what they wanted these villains to be. They really mishandled what they wanted this, this organization, the shop, to be. Which really hurt the Charlie character once we come to the climax. And, and I'll get to that in a second. But I do want to talk about a couple more uh, actors real quick. I talked about Kirkwood Smith playing Joseph Wanless. He does, does a great job. And I was expecting so much more out of him, but we really literally only got like a couple minutes of him on the screen. He does kind of the behind the scenes voiceover in the opening credits as the doctor heading up the lot six experiments where he's interviewing the, the candidates, uh, Andy and Vicky, 
but uh, but him on the screen proper. Uh, he gets a, a couple lines, a few lines of dialogue. Some of them ripped right from the book, which was also in the uh, 84 version. Uh, when he's talking about Charlie's powers and how she could set off a nuclear explosion with just a thought. You didn't get into everything he talked about. Talking about her you know, cracking the world. And it, it got a little more heavy in the the book and in the um, 1984 version uh, we got a little taste of that a truncated version of that with this but I really wanted to see more of uh, an actor like Kirkwood Smith because you know you've got a lot of good actors in there but you don't have uh, an actor in this that really brings the the gravitas that a veteran actor like Kirkwood Smith would bring and and it missed that. I mean, you did get, get that some with the Irv Manders character, uh, played by John Beasley, who, uh, again, uh, another fantastic veteran actor. But they mangled the Manders farm section of this movie so GD bad. I this is this is the point in the movie. Up until this point, you know, we had the bits at the beginning like the first 20 30 minutes where we're you know we're in with the McGee family and we're getting to see some of their family life and I thought some of that was good I thought some of it was mishandled we get John Rainwater introduced way too early uh he actually kills Vicky which he doesn't in the book and he doesn't in the original movie it's it's shop agents that do that uh so we get Charlie seeing rainwater from the beginning, which totally screws up how the rest of the story and the dynamic between these two characters go down. So we've got that. I'm like, okay, I'm a little annoyed right now. Andy and Charlie go on the run and they finally get to Manders farm. And when I saw how they butchered this so badly, this is when I was starting to get pissed off. And I'm like, I, I want to, I'm sick to my stomach. I just want to turn it off, but you know what? I'm watching it. My wife's watching it. I'm not going to be that guy that's just like taking my ball and going home. We're going to finish this out. But this this whole scene was so not what the book was, not not even what the original movie was. Uh, they mangled the story with Irv and his wife taking Andy and Charlie in. Instead of shop agents coming, it's police officers. Instead of a real display of Charlie's powers and what she can do and how dangerous she is. We get rainwater showing up inexplicably again and killing all the cops. It, it was just done so horribly. And, and, and it was at this point I was like, what the fuck is this screenwriter thinking? Did he even read the fucking book? Uh, pardon my French, but I, I just, I, I was so pissed off. Because at this point, we've gone from it being an adaptation of Stephen King's Firestarter to Firestarter's characters uh, in some other story from some jabroni that doesn't have half the writing talent that Stephen King has. And to think you could slap a name Firestarter on a movie and tell me it's a Stephen King adaptation and then totally disregard everything Stephen King wrote, that pisses me off. That's saying I'm too stupid to understand the difference and that you know better than I do and you know better than Stephen King does and to pass that off as Stephen King property fucking pisses me off. Then after that, it's kind of like a snowball. Let's rush to find a way to get Charlie to the shop because her and Andy get separated. He's taken to the shop. She's off in the wilderness with a 15-second montage of her learning to use her powers in the woods. I, my, my wife looks over at me. And she's like, Hey, she's learning to use her powers with a montage. And I said, yeah, it's like Rocky fucking four. But Charlie gets, you know, this mental telepathy, radar love sort of message. She thinks it's from her dad ends up walking slash biking to the, the shop again, inexplicably breaks in. And this is where you know, I want to bring this up because there are a couple scenes, you know, in the book, Charlie's a little kid, seven years old. In the movie, she's about nine because Drew Barrymore was about nine when she when she filmed that. And she's a very sympathetic character. She is a little girl that doesn't want to hurt people. She doesn't want to do bad things. 
she doesn't want to use her powers because she's afraid something's going to happen. And if things start to happen, she's just uh, torn up inside. And Andy really spends a lot of his time trying to protect her from that and help her to realize that, you know, sometimes, you know, things happen, but you got to, you got to control it and, and kind of pointing out the fact that, Hey, you know, you didn't set this guy's hair on fire. You just set his boots on fire. That sort of thing. It's a very loving, uh, I love you, baby girl. I love you, daddy. Sort of very simple and sweet relationship between the two of them. But that's the kind of character Charlie is in this. They tried to play Charlie as a little more like bordering on, like she has a darkness underneath like a little bit of malevolence. I, I don't think that was the right play because at times she did things, you know, that just made you not like the character. Her and her father are talking, and whenever he uses his uh, mental powers to push people, uh, for those not familiar with it, he can kind of influence people to do things with his mind, and he gets these little, like, pinprick hemorrhages in his brain and usually in, in the movie bleeds through his eyes and the nose or actually in the book. And I believe the first movie it's uh, nosebleeds, but he's talking about how it hurts when you use your powers. And she's like, no, it kind of feels good. And, and it's stuff like that. It's, you know, her talking about liking the power and she gets scratched by a cat and lights the cat on fire. My, my wife and I were both, like cringing at that point because that's we just lost our cat and and I we didn't need to see that 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 made the character unlikable you know the fact that she would just lash out at an animal just because she got too close and she got scratched she's gonna light this cat on fire and then uh what's the answer to this well you gotta put it out of its misery so she blasts it with fire again uh just made the character unlikable there's a, a a scene later where uh, some woman lies to her and she delivers this liar, liar, pants on fire before she lights her on. F it just it just made her unlikable. There's a scene when she's breaking into the shop, and that's kind of where I was heading with this, uh, where she gets in the backseat of a car with this agent, and the agent is on the phone talking with the wife. He's got a wife, maybe a family, but he makes the mistake of pulling a gun on her, but you know she's the one breaking into his backseat. Uh, she's the one with the powers threatening him. And she blasts him with fire. It was one of the more gruesome scenes. Uh, the special effects there I thought were pretty good. And it did kind of take this uh, movie to a level. And I'll kind of delve into it a little more. My thoughts on the special effects. But I made it into more of a horror movie than science fiction. That it kind of leans toward in the original movie. But this guy, you know, he's just a family man. He's just, he's just working. Trying to make a living. Obviously on the phone with his wife. Uh, getting ready to go home, and next thing you know, she has toasted him and melted half of his face off. It just made her an unlikable character a lot of times because she also not only has these stupid lines, but she also kind of has this malevolent scowl about her. And, and we'll talk about the actress. I didn't talk about the actress, Ryan Keir Armstrong, because uh, I want to save that for the end of my final thoughts on this. And her, but she plays that very well. Don't get me wrong. In some of the other uh, things that she's done, uh, again, we'll talk about that coming up because I really kind of missed it later. <laughs> I went off on a tangent earlier, but uh, she plays that well. But that's just, you know, that's not the Charlie character. And it just made this character less likable than the character should have been given the source material. And again, I blame that on the screenwriting. But again, she breaks in. Uh, there's the showdown between her and Hollister, uh, her father. It, it all goes down nothing like the book. Nothing like the original movie. Uh, like I said, the original movie is pretty close to the book. You, you know, you could say it's not. It's lackluster if you want. Uh, I won't disagree with that. The The original movie uh, just was lacking a little something, but at least it was the book. Uh, this had some bells and whistles and a little pizzazz, but it wasn't the book. And the bells and whistle and pizzazz wasn't that good that it made this any more watchable than it already wasn't. But yeah, you had this big scene where, uh, you know, Charlie's unlocking all these doors 
and nobody's coming out of these rooms because there's nobody in there except for John Rainbird, who there's a love-hate relationship between him and the and the shop. And they they arrest him because he's kind of gone rogue and started killing a bunch of cops and things like that. Uh, but he comes out and, you know, Charlie's wanted to kill him because he killed her mother. And then all of a sudden he kind of submits himself to her and she's going to toast him, but then she doesn't. And we just get her leaving, blowing up the shop. Although we don't even, you know, we get a couple of explosions in the background, but we don't even see her burning it down like her father asked her to before he died. She goes to a beach and then Rainbird shows up and carries her off. And it just, it, it made no sense. You had this guy who killed her mother, was trying to capture her, was going to kill her. And now all of a sudden he is worshiping her. I, I don't know. And that's inherently the problem that I have with the John Rainberg character in this movie is that you don't know his motivation. You never get any articulation about what he wants or what he's doing or why he's doing it. Like you get in the book and in the original movie. It's the same thing with the Cap Hollister. You don't know what this character wants. You don't know what their true intentions are because you get, never really get any meaningful dialogue out of them. You know it's nefarious. You know it's sinister. But that's all on supposition. That's only because I know the original story that I know these things. If you're coming to this fresh like my wife was, she wouldn't have known any better. I mean, you kind of figure government organization, probably up to no good. But but it's never articulated. And you're just supposed to guess. And that was just one of the many huge problems I had with this movie. Another one was the Charlie character. And, and how they treated powers in this. I like Ryan Kira Armstrong. I think she's a fine young actress. You know, uh, in It Chapter 2, when she played, she played the little girl under the bleachers that uh, kind of had the, the bit of a deformity skin issue on her face and Pennywise kind of lures her in and then takes a bite out of her. I wanted to love It. Because that's one of my favorite Stephen King stories. Uh, I just hated the things that they added to this this new It rendition, this new It adaptation. I hated the things they changed. I hated things that uh, they the way they treated Pennywise and some uh, giant spider Pennywise in a freaking chase scene was just stupid. But one of the things I did like that they added was that little scene with that little girl. Uh, played by Ryan Kira Armstrong, Under the Bleachers. I thought that was one of the things they added that wasn't in the book that actually worked. Uh, I liked her in The Tomorrow War as, as uh, Chris Pratt's daughter. I loved her in American Horror Story, uh, the double feature, Red Tide, where she plays uh, the daughter. Uh, I thought she did fantastic in that. Uh, I just I've, I've really loved some of the things that I've seen Ryan Kira Armstrong in. And so it's not a matter of her acting ability. I thought she did good for what she was given. I just think this character was written horribly. In so much into the DNA of the character. In the book, Charlie McGee has pyrokinesis. That is her power. Now, it's dabbled with. There's the idea that she has maybe a little bit of telekinesis. A little bit of some sort of clairvoyance. She can tell when shop agents are on the way. She can. She has some bit of premonition uh, in regards to that. She has some bit of telekinesis because when they're in the airport and Andy tells her, sends her to, in the book, Andy sends her to the uh, phone booths to kind of use some mental powers to get all the coins out of them and in the 84 movie he actually does it but she has a, a little bit of telekinesis but for the most part her power is pyrokinesis but they made it seem like she had all these powers and she just had them all readily available to her so for the most part in this we barely get to see her starting any fires. Uh, so much of what happens at the shop is her uh, pushing people to shoot each other and and that sort of thing. And, I, you know, it's, it's Firestarter. I want to see fires. Uh, and and I one of the things I did like 
was the effects they used uh, when fires fireballs are coming out from her. I like how they had the manifest and shoot out. Uh, I, I liked how they had uh, you know waves of fire blast out from her when she screamed. I liked when she was starting to feel anxious and and the power starting to well up in her. You know things would start start to smolder and singe and kind of catch a little ember here and there. I like the effects they use. I just don't think they used them enough for a movie called Firestarter. Uh, we didn't really get a ton of fire, uh, not like especially not people on fire like you do in the 1984 version. Uh, they did a lot of fire stunts with that, and and it it felt you know you felt like you were watching a movie called Firestarter in 1984. This it was more mental telepathy girl uh, who occasionally starts fires. It's like they wanted this character to be more like Carrie than Charlie. Uh, it's kind of how it felt to me. I also absolutely hated how they treated uh, Andy McGee's power. You know, he does this thing, uh, they call it the push, where he can manipulate people's minds, influence people's minds to do things. That uh, kind of goes to his job. In the book, he's more of a like a life coach where he gets people not to be fat. Uh, in this, they changed it to uh, he gets people to stop smoking. But he can influence people with his mind. And they did a really cool effect when he's doing this. When he is pushing people, their eyes kind of dilate. Which I thought was a nice physical representation of what he was doing. But then they took that to the nth degree. And when the shop shows up, they've got these contacts that they put in. Essentially saying that he has to be looking them in the eye for them to be able to be pushed when it's it's mental it doesn't have anything to do with the eyes the eye dilation was a cool little trick to show they're under the influence but it had nothing to do with him looking them in the eyes it was it was mental it's a mental power and it just part of the what made this movie so fucking stupid is that they treated this felt and i've heard other people talk about this so this is an original idea and hopefully uh who who has said this before thinks i'm copying them but but it is true uh, they treated this like an x-men movie or or some superhero movie uh, you even have the gloria rubin as captain hollister telling charlie she's a modern day superhero uh, you know i heard that in the trailer i'm like okay uh, I can get past the, oh, it feels good bit about the powers. I can get past the liar, liar, pants on fire. But her, her telling her she's a modern day superhero, I was like, okay, just fucking stop. Just stop it. That is not what this movie is about. That is not what this story is about. You want her to be a superhero, but then you glorify her torching innocent people alive innocent animals alive uh you get the scowl on this little girl's face who's supposed to be this sweet innocent little girl and you're making her look malevolent and you just there's so many mixed signals in this story because scott teams who wrote the screenplay this is like he banged this story out in one night on a, a bender of monster energy drinks and then they greenlit the script and just went right into production and that really is everything i have i mean there's there's other issues uh the, the whole movie is just too dark and, and i don't mean dark tonally i mean dark like it's just not very well lit uh the grading is flat it just doesn't look great Keith Thomas is the director. He's a fine director. I, I don't know as if the directing was the problem. Um, like I said, like the acting, I, I loved all the actors and I wanted to see more out of these actors. I just don't think they were given a very good script with very good character development in it. Uh, they weren't giving uh, characters that were from the book. The characters in the book are interesting. The characters in the book... You know, the good guys are likable. The bad guys are, you know, in some regards, like Rainbird, complex. In other regards, like Hollister and Dr. Pinchot, Dr. Wanless, you know, there's there's some moral ambiguities. There's some gray areas. I mean, Hollister is probably more uh, straight up a bad guy than anybody. But with this, just, you know, all the characters were flat for the most part from a writing standpoint. 
some of them who had interesting stories like Rainbird, uh, their stories were bastardized and flattened and made so boring that you didn't care about the character. Uh, and that was one of the, like I said, one of the characters I was looking forward to seeing the most was the Rainbird character. And they couldn't make me care less about this character in this movie. Oh, and by the way, giving him powers was freaking stupid. The special effects were good. I do have to hand it to him to that. I've talked about that before. I loved all the fire effects. Um, you know, there was some CG fire, but uh, it, it wasn't, you know, CG fire can be tricky sometimes. I would have liked to see more practical fire effects. I would have liked to see more fire stunts. Uh, I know those are dangerous, but, you know, that's what stunt stuntmen do. And, and they did a shit ton of those in the original 84. Uh, I would have liked to have seen more of that in this. I would have liked to have seen a bigger, it's like they ran out of budget uh, at the end. And we just got like this truncated, watered down uh, version of the burning down of the shop, which was just kind of lackluster. Uh, one of the things I did love about this is the soundtrack. Because you may not know this, a lot of people do. A lot of people in the know know. But John Carpenter was originally set to direct Firestarter back in 84. I mean, he did Christine, but uh, he was going to do Firestarter. Uh, I can't remember why, but ended up not being able to do that. Uh, but they got John Carpenter, Cody Carpenter, and Daniel Davies to do the music for this. And I really enjoyed, probably one of the things I enjoyed most about this was the score. Uh, because it, in some regards, it felt very much like a Halloween score. It very much had a Halloween vibe to it. It did have definitely that John Carpenter ethereal aesthetic. And, and really kind of, you know, Tangerine Dream uh, is known for the soundtrack to the 1984 version of Firestarter. And this felt very much akin to that 1984 Tangerine Dream feel that you got in Firestarter 84. Uh, so I really loved it. And there were some, some particular uh, pieces that I, I really enjoyed in this score with John and Cody Carpenter and, and Daniel Davies. Uh, I want to go check it out on Spotify when I get a chance. But uh, I really did love the score to this. And coming in at just just over an hour and a half, uh, I'm I'm not one for adding any extra length to movies. And a movie that just disinterested me so much, uh, an hour and thirty four minutes felt like forever. I just kept watching my watch, and I'm like, oh my god, when are they going to wrap this up? Because I know they're not going to get to anything that was in the book in these last you know fifteen twenty minutes. But uh, this was something my, my wife even said she didn't know a lot about the characters. Uh, they didn't give her any information about some of these characters. She wanted to know a little more about various characters. And this this is a movie that could have used with another like 10, 15, even 20 minutes. I, I would have, if they could have developed characters more uh, by adding more time, I would have been all about that. But it just felt uh, so rushed in so many spots because they deviated from the source material, uh, painted themselves into a corner and had to figure a way to get out of it as quickly as possible to get Charlie to the shop and, and wrap this thing up. It just felt so clunky. The screenplay really, really hurt this whole movie. And I probably should have expected as much because Scott Teams, who who wrote this screenplay, was a part of the writing team on Halloween Kills. And I freaking hate the Halloween uh, movies, uh, even though I will watch Halloween Ends just to put me out of my misery in this, this uh, David Gordon Green Halloween trilogy. But, uh, but it makes sense that uh, Scott Teams is a part of that writing team that put forth a, a Halloween abomination like Halloween Kills. So all in all, I just did not like this movie. Um, the 1984 is not my favorite Stephen King adaptation either. Don't get me wrong. But what I appreciate about that is that it is, it's essentially the novel. For all of its faults, for, for some of the weakness and some of the acting, it's still a good representation of Stephen King's book. While I wish maybe it had a better cast in some regards, whether I wish it could have been, you know, like, like sometimes things got a little low paced in that one. Uh, it was still, uh, I think a fair representation of the, the Stephen King novel Firestarter. This just wasn't Stephen King's Firestarter had characters of the same names, 
They all did some of the same stuff, but it wasn't the story. And that's what pisses me off. I, I don't want to see, like I said, some screenwriter's idea of what Stephen King should have done. You want to know why the wheel has consistently throughout the centuries, throughout the millennia, been round is because that's how a wheel works best. You can make the wheel out of different materials. You can make it out of wood. You can make it out of metal. You can make it out of plastic. You can make it out of rubber. You can make it out of styrofoam, whatever you want. You can make the wheel out of different things. Uh, you can make it look uh, thinner, fatter, wider, bigger, smaller, but the wheel still has to be round to be a wheel. And that's what it is with Stephen King's books. You know, you can dress it up in different ways. You can make things have a different look or feel. This, this would have been perfect. If they would have given the Rainbird character, Michael Greyhise, if they would have given him the George C. Scott storyline from the 84, I would have loved it. Um, you could do things different. You could delve into the character a little more than they did even in 84. You could add some of those horror. I mean, they had some really graphic scenes like the guy, the agent in the car when Charlie burns him alive and you get that melted face. You could add elements of horror that you didn't get in the 1984 version. You could add those to, to lean this movie a little more towards horror. You can play with the tone and you can play with different things that, that, that give a movie a different feel without fucking with the source material, without raping and bastardizing the source material. Because ultimately, as a Stephen King fan, I want to see Stephen King's story on the screen. You can tell it a little different in certain areas. You can make it look this way or that way or or however you want. You can you can play with things like that, but you can't play with the base story in and of itself. You can't play with the the things I've come to love about particular stories, and that is the characters and the relationships of the characters. And that's what really pisses me off about a lot of Stephen King adaptations. It makes me worried about, you know, we've got Salem's Lot coming up, I believe, this fall. And I'm really excited about it because William Sadler, who is a, a veteran of Stephen King movies and television, he's going to be in it. Uh, Lewis Pullman is going to be Ben Mears. I'm really excited about him. Uh, Gary Doberman's directing this. So it, it's something I'm really looking forward to. But Jesus, I'm, I'm so afraid they were going to wreck uh, a story that I love. This was, you know, a, a story that I've been such a fan of. Uh, I love the the 70s miniseries they did of this. Uh, I've loved the book for, for decades, and I'm really, really excited about that. But I was excited about Firestarter, too. And I'm just afraid I'm going to be disappointed again because so many Stephen King adaptations lately have been disappointing because, again, you get screenwriters who think, I want to see their interpretation of a King story. No, 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 no. I want to see my Stephen King story on the screen. You can make it look different. You can try some different things. But if it's not the story, if you're fucking with the story, if you're fucking with key components of the story, key elements of the story, it's it's going to be a disappointment. And yeah, maybe, maybe I'm a bit of a Stephen King purist. Uh, call me a Stephen King snob. Whatever you want to call me. I don't care. I want a Stephen King story on the screen. Not some jabroni who doesn't write Stephen King, giving me what they think I want to see in a Stephen King story on the screen. So at the end of the day, I did not like Firestarter 2022. <laughs> Probably fairly safe to say. Uh, my wife and I are both getting over COVID right now, so we could not go to the movie theater to watch this. Probably a good thing. Uh, I was glad that it ended up streaming on Peacock because if I would have dropped down 30-some bucks for a couple movie tickets and some popcorn and drinks and watched this in the movie theater, I would have been pissed off. Uh, I'm glad I only paid like five bucks to get a month of Peacock and it, it was worth my five bucks. Eh, eh, I don't know. I don't know if it was worth my five bucks, but you know, I spent five bucks. I'll watch something else watch some of the uh, super fan cuts of The Office, and I'll get my five bucks back that way. But uh, did not like Firestarter 2022, and it's not for wanting to. I wanted to. 
I wanted to love this. I wanted to give it a fair shot, but it just wasn't in the cards because uh, this was just not a good adaptation of Stephen King. And I know there's a bunch of people out there praising it. Oh, great movie. Uh, I dare say those people never saw the original and they never, ever read the book Firestarter. So that's my thoughts. Uh, I don't know whether you agree with me or not. You don't have to, uh, but if you do... <laughs> Uh, I feel your pain. If you haven't watched it, uh, check it out. You know, you be the judge. Don't just go by what I say. Hell, you might like it. You may love it. You may think it's it's so close to the Stephen King book, it might as well be the book. You'd be wrong, but, you know, like I said, to each his own. I, I would, if you think that, if you think that this movie is as close to Stephen King's book as one could possibly get in a movie adaptation... I would be very concerned that you might be in the midst of being pushed by Scott Teams uh, and quite possibly Keith Thomas. Uh, you might want to get some of those those fancy shop contact lenses. But thanks for listening. Check us out on Facebook, Odds Bodkins Curiosity Shop on Facebook for all the latest in horror, fantasy, and sci-fi. Always posting articles from various sources around the internet kind of spreading the word about what's going on we're always posting trailers and movies and tv series uh, for some of your favorite horror fantasy and sci-fi uh, wherever you listen to this podcast please leave a review five stars would be awesome uh, it helps with the algorithms and getting the word out and speaking of getting the word out if you know anybody who loves horror fantasy and sci-fi please share this podcast with them help us get the word out you know trying to trying to make something of this uh you know trying to uh, entertain in the the best way i know how and that's talking about the things i love uh in the world of horror fantasy and sci-fi so please uh please help us out by spreading the word if you enjoy what you're listening to or even if you're uh, even if you're morally ambivalent to what you're listening to please spread the word anyway uh if i could push you to do that i would okay no i wouldn't okay yeah i would but at any rate please uh spread the word uh leave those reviews subscribe download the podcast all that jazz you know how social media works and until next time Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!